Hey, friends, welcome to the podcast. I'm Michael Patton, and this is Theology Unplugged. Got a fun podcast today. We're going to talk about the hiddenness of God and a lot of controversial things, but specifically the hiddenness with, of God with regard to the charismatic issue. You know how I'm like, I like to talk about charismatic. I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology. Demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know. Theology. Theology. Unplugged. All right, let's get started. We are going to talk. I, this has been a crazy, crazy week, crazy weekend for me. Sometimes my mind just gets going, and I'm going a million miles an hour, and I... I mean, I can't think of a time whenever it's not, but sometimes it's just I can produce a lot. And I have been producing a whole lot recently. If you go to the blog, I've got all kinds of blogs. Most of the things deal with, you know, I I like to push the edges of theology. I like to push the, the, I like to mess some things up. And I understand that. I had a guy on the blog just the other day comment. I don't think he's come back since then. He had been on the blog and uh, over at credohouse.org, that's my blog, but he'd been on there for months. And then finally, I got this message from from him that said, it seems like you like to just mess with people and mess things up. And I'm like, I don't, that's not what I want to do. I want people to grow and stabilize, but I don't want them to stabilize in the wrong thing. If you've known me for a long time, I do, I, I, one of my goals is to help people overcome folk theology. Folk theology is this theology that you have kind of on the edges of our theology that doesn't uh, that often shouldn't be there. We get solidified. Our car, our categories harden in some places and it just needs to be shaken up so it can grow. I mean that's what we have to do. We have to get, you know, things some of the things cleaned off. We got to trim a little bit so plants can grow. This is just trimming sometimes. I love to establish people in the essentials of the doctrine uh, of, of the Christian faith, and I like to talk about apologetics. So let, let me just name some of the blogs that I've done recently that have caused some trouble, okay? Uh, let's see here. Number one, I, I don't know why this would uh, cause anybody trouble, but I put I had a blog called, Would Jesus Have Died a Natural Death Had He Not Been Killed?, they're all saying, hey, what, what are you speculating for? What does it matter? Well, I'm not speculating for no reason. I want you to understand the nature of Christ and how much he had to become man. My in, in, in the blog, my argument is that if Jesus hadn't been killed, he would have died because he was living in the human condition. And ultimately, whatever it means to have the tree of life, he didn't have access to it. And I think he had to have access to it. So yes, I would think he would have died. People a lot of people didn't like that. Why I don't believe in hell right now. Now that's a little bit, I know that's that's clickbait and that's a little bit manipulative, but I don't believe in hell right now. I don't think hell has started yet. I don't think hell comes until the judgment. That's another thing. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is uh, speaking about immediately after death. I don't think it has to. I think it's talking about ultimate ends, and I don't think God will judge people until, or he will not He will not send people to hell until they're judged. Doesn't that just make sense? 
Why would he send people to hell, get them out of hell, judge them and put them right back in? I mean, if they're in hell, they're already judged. So uh, I think there are people are in a waiting place. If you've died outside of Christ, you're in a waiting place. I have no clue what that looks like. Yes, it could be here on the earth. It could be why you see ghosts, people see ghosts and spirits. Um, I don't believe those necessarily have to be demonic whenever people see these things, but it could be demonic too. I'm not sure. This is kind of the outer edges of our theology. We're, we're not sure about a lot of stuff. That's why I'm trying to get people to understand. And you know what? One of you understand this. Here, here's the deal. Theology gets a lot more exciting. Whenever you harden your categories and, and make your bucks to, to where it's all closed up, number one, you're not, you're not really understanding the infinite God that we worship. There's so much more going on than we know. There's so many of the edges of our theologies that we don't have figured out, and we get nervous by that. We don't like to not have everything figured out. We like to have everything nice and clean. We like to have the puzzle all put together and all the edges, and we'll force it if we have to. But let me tell you something. The, the puzzle's a lot bigger. The theological puzzle's a lot bigger than, than we think it is, a whole lot bigger than we think it is. There's a lot more going on but it doesn't mean we don't have a clear picture of Christ and the essence of our faith, the essentials of our faith. We got those puzzle pieces put together, yes, but a lot of things we just don't know. We don't understand. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to read these titles because I can't, I can't talk about every one of these. There's just so many. Um, what will heaven be like? I think that's a good one. You got you to read that one because you'll you'll understand <laughs> I said I wasn't going to talk about it but heaven is going to be a lot more like the earth is now than you think read that one uh then also I talked about uh ecclesiastes <laughs> I know I'm I'm I listen all of it has a purpose I said is there really not is there really not anything new under the sun the author of ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun kind of kicks the dirt. He's sad, hands in his pocket, uh, you know, uh, kicking dirt as he goes because he, uh, he, he's, he's disillusioned. Now, does that mean that because it's in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible that everything it says is true? Not at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's ramblings of a delusioned man under the sun. The idea of living without God thinking without God. I'm not saying there's not a lot of wisdom in it. It's probably the most wise book that we have, especially for our generation. But you got to understand it. You got to understand whenever he says, who knows whether the spirit of a man goes up and the spirit of an animal goes down. He's, he, he's in a state, a disillusioned state where he doesn't know whether or not he, he's doubting everything in Ecclesiastes. But the truth that it does teach is the perspective of someone who is living the way he was living outside of God, trying to find meaning outside of God. That's where you get. That's the teaching of it. It's not that it's all true. So, all right, I can't. I can't talk about it anymore because I got to get to my other one. Uh, you can't out. You can't outgive God. I wrote that one yesterday because somebody I was listening to said what was preaching a sermon and he gave this the 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 same old thing that I've heard a million times. You can't outgive God. God's shovel is bigger than yours. 
You keep on shoveling money in, and he will shovel it back. And it's a quasi-evangelical health wealth gospel. That's all it is. It's basically saying a guaranteed investment. If you give $10 to the Lord, you'll get $20 back. Uh, Testament C. That's not necessarily true. You may, maybe God will, but there's no promise of that. You give and you're blessed because the attitude that you have in giving because your perspective you have, we, that's why we give. Not We don't know what will happen. We don't know if the investment will come back now. We know it'll come back in heaven, but I don't like that quasi-health wealth gospel. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the hiddenness of God, divine hiddenness. Divine hiddenness is a, is a problem uh, in apologetics defending the faith. The hiddenness of God expresses this. It's very simple. You'll understand it perfectly. There's not. It's not hard to understand. I guarantee you have thought about this yourself. The hiddenness of God has to do with the reality that God himself uh, is, is outside of our immediate empirical range. God himself, his power, who he is. I don't, he's not sitting right over here on the couch. He's not sitting by you. We don't have conversations with him like we have conversations with everybody else. There is a there is a veil between us and wh- wherever God is at. Now, I believe there, the, this is another podcast, but I believe that veil is shrinking right now. There's all kinds of things I could tell you about that that's interesting and I think exciting, but the veil is there. There is, he is hidden. So I wrote a blog and talked about the charismatic problem of divine hiddenness. And I think the divine hiddenness is a problem. It's an emotional problem. It's a sad problem, but it's not, it's not a problem we shouldn't expect. I mean, the very whenever the angels took Jesus up into heaven, they said, you know, in Acts chapter one, they said, "Men of Galilee, why you stand here looking? This man who was this Jesus who was taken up from you." will come back one day to the same place. Now, there's a lot said in that, but one of the things that you you need to understand is it does say he was taken from you to the apostles who were here on the earth. Remember Christ a few days before uh, at the Last Supper said, um, it's to your benefit that I go because the Comforter will be sent, the Holy Spirit will be sent. Well, it doesn't seem like a benefit. I mean, I'd be sitting there, I'd say, Christ, I want you to stay with me. I mean, Tell me how the Spirit's going to come. Is he going to become and be tangible like you are? I want the tangible presence of Christ. Now, I understand what Christ was saying, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and he could be within every single one of us. Christ couldn't be everywhere. But at the same time, we long for the coming of Christ. Peter says we have faith even though we don't see him now. Peter says we don't see him now. Peter didn't see him anymore. I mean, there's a couple of times whenever he showed up after the resurrection, but Peter's life was not filled with the presence of Christ in an immediate way. We want this presence of Christ. It's the very last words of the book of the entire Bible. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That is the cry that we have. We are, we are told in the Bible we should, we should expect and hope for the Lord's coming. I asked my son the other day, and there's nothing against him saying this because I did too, because uh, I'd been thinking about this. We were getting out of the car, went to the grocery store, and I said, do you want Jesus to come? If, if you could, and I said, hey, 
if, uh, Jesus could come now if you want it. Would you want it? And he thought about it. He had to think about it, right? And he was very honest afterwards. He said, no, <laughs> because a lot of times whenever you're a young person, you want to, you want to experience life. You don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. It's a mystery to you or on the new earth, unless you read my blog, <laughs> then you'll figure out what's going to happen. But we don't know that. And so it's a mystery to us, but there are some things here that we want to do. We want to accomplish. And so sometimes that's the way we think, but you get to my age and the Maranatha come Lord Jesus is a much more immediate, much more evident. So there's a lot of us who are crying out Maranatha, but it's not that just that it's, it's that we are to cry that out. We should desire for Christ to come back. That should be our hope. You see, it's not something that is that that's a cry of the of the um, uh, the those who have failed. The cry of the those who are giving things up. It's the cry of the godly. It's the cry of us who truly want to see Christ. Now, you may come to me and say, whenever I bring up the problem of hiddenness, every time, here's what I get: I get things from people like, "It's not a problem," and I say, "Well, why not?" They say, "Because." Uh, he is here present in every way. Now, the pr problem of divine hiddenness basically is this. It's a philosophical problem, especially th for those who are actively seeking God. This is from my blog. In essence, it asks why, if a good, omnipotent God exists, he remains unseen at least unex or, or at least unexperienced by some individuals, say most individuals, most people. This is exasperated by those of us who believe and desire a relationship with all people. Uh, if we believe in a God who desires a relationship with all people, but remains hidden enough for people to doubt him. He remains just hidden enough. Now, this, one thing about this is that you do have a lot of people out there. I'm, I, I put this on Facebook before I put it on my blog. And I mean, it's, there's a lot of comments on that and a really good discussion. Great guys that I'm having conversations with. I really appreciate all the people on Facebook, all the guys on Facebook, all the girls on Facebook that are respectful. And, and most of the time they are on my, my page. So it's nice. And that's where most of the discussion happens. My blog gets a lot of reads, but not quite as much discussion as the Facebook stuff. But, um, you know, here, here's the thing is that, um, whenever, whenever I'm, whenever I bring up this problem, I'm bringing it up in the context of watching, um, that the, there are some people that I think are sincere and I don't, I don't know. I'm a Calvinist, right? So take that into account whenever I say this. I think there are people out there that are truly sincere, at least from their own vantage point, everything they know about themselves and everything they have accepted about themselves, they believe they are sincerely seeking God, but can't find him. And to them, all they want is God to do one more step in the direction, show them somehow that, you know, show, like Thomas, show me your wounds and I will not believe until I stick my fingers in the wounds of his hand and stick my my hand in his side. That was something that Thomas, was, he needed empirical verification. There's some people on my blog, like I was saying, that come in and say, hey, listen, I mean, God is evident enough for sure. We don't need to say this is a problem because rationally speaking, 
There's no way there, there isn't a God. There's no way he's not good. And we can bring up a thousand different things for this to be able to uh, deduce for, just from creation itself that there is a God. And so I'm like, yeah, I understand that. And I understand, rationally speaking, there couldn't be much, there couldn't be a greater case. Rationally speaking, we have got a solid case for God. And the rational case is about the strongest case. It is. But in the end, what we want is the experience. We want the empirical evidence. We want to see, touch, uh, smell, taste God right in front of us. And that's why it's such a great thing whenever you have uh, a miracle that happens in front of you. That's why you you sense the presence of God and you say, oh, yeah, he really is here. You know, because what we can forget is we're going through our lives because we have no interaction with them outside of prayer that doesn't come back to us. We, we read the Bible, but who else do you have a relationship with that you read their writings and then just pray to them without any response, with your eyes closed? You never see them. You never touch them. We don't have those relationships, so we have no, we have no parallel. And so what we desire ultimately is to, is to have the same relationship that we have with other people with God. I mean, we do. And if you say, no, I don't, Michael, you know, I, I, that's not something I care about. I'm like, how can you not? That's that's part of that's part of what Christianity is all about. It's all about Christ and all about the hope of His coming. Why hope for His coming if He could just stay up there and you know fix everything down here on the earth, but never come? We want Christ. We want Christ with us. That is a that is a big part of our desire, and so we can admit that it's okay. It's okay to say that I have a problem of the divine hiddenness, but that problem will be alleviated one day. We all have a problem of the divine hiddenness. We want that veil that that separates us from God, our dimension from His, to be completely thinned out to where it disappears. But there's some people out there that are that are seeking God, and they say, I want to know God. I want to believe in Him, Michael. But I need something more. I need more evidence. Now, I know in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus how, how the, the uh, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom in paradise and looks across and sees the rich man in hell. And the rich man in hell says, hey, will you just go tell my brothers about this place so they, they don't have to come here? And Abraham turns to him and says, they have... They have Moses and the prophets. Even if someone were to rise from their grave and talk to them, they wouldn't believe. Even if there was a great miracle, they wouldn't believe. And I do believe that. I think it's true. But at the same time, that doesn't help. I can't tell somebody that story and say, there you go. See, it's really easy. In the end, I do understand what they're talking about, wanting more evidence. Uh, those type of people will always be one step away no matter what. There's something else going on. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you what it is, but there's something else going on to where that keeps them from belief. Because like I said, rationally speaking, the case for God is closed. Empirically speaking, we are waiting. We are the, we, we are waiting for him to get back. All of us are. Now, the problem of evil or the problem of hiddenness basically says, why can't uh, God just be more more 
revealing about himself whenever uh, he wants people to love him and know him. And what does it what does it have to do with the problem of hiddenness in the charismatics? Because that's where I ultimately get to. That's the difference in this blog that I wrote or this article that I wrote. I said, now the charismatic, it would seem, has the problem to a greater degree than non-Christians due to the, their twofold claim. First, charismatics claim that God has continued to give specific supernatural gifts such as prophecy, healing, and miracles. Their second claim is that it is God's will or his desire for every church to exercise these gifts. So that, that introduces the problem because here's the deal. Maybe we can't see God. Maybe he's not here yet. Maybe we're still waiting on the second coming in great anticipation for Christ to come rule from the earth. Maybe that's it. But at the same time, we get little pieces of it through prophecy, through miracles, through people being healed. We see God immediately right then, it's, and it's a taste of the kingdom that's coming. And I would love to have a taste, just like I would love to see him. I'd much rather him come back and be with us. I can't wait. But at the same time, if I can get little pieces of the divine in this way, and there's people saying, you get pieces of the divine all the time. You know, everything's divine. I know that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a direct interaction that is, I mean, you know there's something different between prophecy and the everyday goings of life. If God comes to you and speaks to you into your life and you know that it is God because he is basically reading your mind or knows your thoughts or predicts your future, you will fall down on your knees. Even the Bible says this. Prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, prophecy is for the building up of the church. And it's better than anything else, Paul says. Uh, uh, desire prophecy more than anything else. Why? Because that's God actually speaking to you. That uh, We do have the Bible, yes. And you may say, that's enough. Yeah, it, it, it is enough. I'm not saying it's not enough. I'm just saying I want more. It's kind of enough to live off bread and water. But I want... I want a candy bar, if you know what I mean. I mean, I, I want something that is different, that's substantial. Yes, all this other stuff will keep me alive. It will. It keeps my spirit alive. I'm not going to leave the faith. I don't. I, it's not like the problem of hiddenness causes me a problem that I'm going to start. I'm going to stop believing. But at the same time, I want the prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongues edifies himself only, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I want that kind of edification. I want the direct communication of God. And don't tell me prophecy, it means today just, just preaching God's word. It does not. You can't change the meaning. Prophecy is speaking for God, speaking on behalf of God. I have never spoken on behalf of God. I have taught for 25 years, but never spoken directly on behalf of God. I don't know. I could be wrong on things that I've taught. Everything that I taught, I could be wrong because I am, I am fallible. But if I was to prophesy, by definition, I could not be wrong. So everybody, we all want prophecy. Prophecy is, it, it tears open the veil for a little bit and, say, and, and God peeks in. 
and he 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 shows himself to us in a in a very particular way. Not as good as whenever he comes, but still. Same thing with miracles. Same thing with healings. If somebody if if God would come or would have come and healed my mother, if some guy with the gift of healing would have come to the hospital or would come to our place now where she's at and heal her. That would be my, me and my family's greatest desire because she is not in good condition at all. And she hasn't been for almost 20 years now. It hasn't changed. We've taken her to uh, a church uh, that is, that is a very, that, that is uh, the pastor is a very well-known charismatic and he's a good friend and I like the guy a whole lot but I went there for two years brought my mom there every time not to not to flaunt I mean I felt like I was sometimes it was like I'd wheel her in on the wheelchair and it was kind of like I'm saying okay if you guys are really charismatic take this and, and they tried to heal her many many times and I, I I appreciated it more than anything I really did I appreciated all the prayers. I still do. I appreciate everyone who tried to heal her because that was kind of you. But at the same time, I didn't see God peek through. And the problem charismatics have, here's the problem. The problem charismatics have is they believe that these gifts are normative for the church, for the edification of the church. They edify. I wish they were normative. I've told you this a million times. I wish they were normative. But the problem of divine hiddenness is, is, uh, is exacerbated, exacerbated, whatever that word is. I can't even say it now, but it is, it is heightened. It was, uh, made greater because the expectation in a charismatic setting is that God on a regular basis does do these types of things, does perform these types of miracles, does perform healings, does, you should expect it. Uh, whenever me and Sam Storms talked about this for 17 podcasts, uh, back in 2011, we wrote on this for, I don't know how many blogs by the time we were done, it was, it was going to be a 400 page book, but we defined at the very beginning, what, what charismatic means, what we have to say, the three elements of being a charismatic are. And I agreed with him. He agreed with me. I was, I was wanting him to talk me into being a charismatic. But at the same time, it had to be these three things. Number one, all the gifts had to continue. Miracles had to continue. Tongues had to continue. Healings had to continue. And prophecy had to continue. And then you got the interpretation of tongues, the word of knowledge, and the uh, word of wisdom, all three of those. If those are part of these ways in which God peaks, the supernatural. I know most charismatics don't like this term for it. And I, I guess I understand, but uh, the, the supernatural gifts, the, the miraculous gifts, uh, that's what we call those gifts. We don't call teaching a miraculous gift. But those are miraculous gifts because they're different. They, whenever they happen, you know it's from God. Whenever somebody heals somebody, you know it's from God. Whenever somebody prophesies, you know it's from God because there is, there is an evident nature to prophecy, whether it is they read your mind or, or speak the future or whatever. 
there's an evident nature to it. There's not an evident nature to teaching. There's not an evident nature to the gift of mercy. There's not an evident nature to the gift of giving. There's not an immediate evident nature to any of those that God is using you. But if you if you heal, healed my mom, I would say God is using you. I mean, yes, if you have to square up with the, with the already revealed revelation, but I mean, uh, with that, we know that God, God's power is going through you. Now, charismatics claim that this should be, number one, continuing. All these gifts have to continue. That's the first one. Number one, the gifts must continue. Number two, get this down because these are the three things that make it charismatic. If you don't know it, if you're trying to define what charismatic is, number one, all the gifts have to have continued, including healing, prophecy, tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, interpretation of tongues, uh, prophecy, and healings. I think maybe I said a couple of twice, but you know what I'm saying. All those have to continue today. Number two, this is the most important one, get this one down, they are supposed to be normative for the local church. They are meant to be normative. God wants them to be normative for the local church. Now, if they are just sporadic, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just as charismatic as you are because I believe God does miracles all the time. I mean, I've never seen one except for whenever I found my sister that time, which many of you know about, which is a really odd miracle that didn't turn out quite the way I interpreted it. But whenever I found my sister, whenever she was depressed and about to kill herself, that was a miracle. That's the only miracle I've actually seen. Like where I know God had to intervene in time. I know that his power had to be directly on this. I know that there was no intermediary humans that were accomplishing this and God was just using them in, in, a, in a normal way. This is where God intervenes in time. These have to be normative in the local church, not sporadic, not happened 10 years ago, and they may happen again. It's whenever you go to church, your local church, God wants you to be using all of these gifts all the time. I'm not saying they have to happen every Sunday, and I don't think Sam would say that. Normative does not mean every Sunday you get a healing or every Sunday you get a prophecy, but it does have to be normative to where whenever you go there and continue to go there, there's an evident nature of the power of God to where uh, whenever it happens, whenever someone prophesies, there is edification and exhortation. People rejoice in the healing of God. They see God peek through. It has to be normative, number one and number two. Number three, you have to be personally pursuing these things. So you could believe that the gifts have continued and believe that they're normative, but go to a different church, you know, that doesn't practice them or not care that much. You're not charismatic at that point. You have to be all three in order to be charismatic. You have to believe the gifts have continued. You have to be a continuationist. You have to believe that they're normative for the local church and you have to be seeking them yourself. Those are the three. I'm number one and number three. <laughs> I'm seeking them. Um, I'm perfectly open for them continuing. I don't know if they have. I mean, you can't tell me there's an elephant in your room and just convince me whenever I don't see an elephant in the room. If there's an elephant in the room, I'll acknowledge the elephant. If there's not, I acknowledge that as well. And whenever I've been to these churches that are supposedly charismatic, normatively practicing these things, I don't see them charismatic at all. I just see them 
pursuing it and and talk trying to talk themselves into it, but nothing's really happening. I went there for two years. I went to a church for two years. One of the most one of the most solid, good, charismatic churches I know of, and I mean that. It's a very, very good church. And there's a lot of them out there. And I'm not saying just because you're charismatic, you you don't have it figured out. I may be wrong. Maybe every time I show up, God hides. I mean, I would if I was him, but maybe that's the way it is. I don't, I don't know. Um, but also maybe, maybe they haven't continued like you think. I mean, you've got the problem. You've got this problem of the hiddenness of God that is accentuated, <laughs> exasperated. I can't say. Oh man, I'm gonna look at it. Hey AI, how do you say exasperated? <laughs> oh man, okay. But um, so so it is a bigger problem. I okay. So it's it's the elephant not in the room. That's that's a section of my blog. The elephant not in the room. But at the same time, here's here's the deal. Um, I'm not I'm not here to jump on charismatics all the time. You, you you think I am? People think that I'm just doing this, like saying I want to be charismatic, and it's almost like a a uh, you know a slight slight uh, sly move that I'm trying to make to undermine charismatics. I am not at all. I mean, ever since I learned that J.P. Moreland was charismatic. I have my reservations from the standpoint of uh, the intellectual shame. They used to be a shame, like all inter, all all charismatics weren't intellectual. There was an intellectual rise of the charismatics with Wayne Grudem, J.P. Moreland, Sam Storms. I mean, there's no problem now. I mean, there's even charismatic Calvinists, for goodness sake. Who ever thought that would come about? And so you you've got that taken away, and that's not it. I'm. I, there is a problem with the divine hiddenness that I see in the charismatic church whenever I go to the charismatic church. So, elephant in the room. Here's what I put. God may just be hiding from me and others like me in these circumstances. Believe it or not, I'm willing to accept that God may not may show himself to different people in different ways. And I do believe that. God shows himself to different people in different ways. He does. I mean... It's, it's personality things. I mean, people, sometimes people feel God. I don't feel God. I, I know he exists and I wish I did feel him, but I, I don't feel his presence. You've heard me say that before. We all experience God in different ways. I would be saddened by this if he didn't, if, if he is doing these things and he stops every time I show up, I'd be saddened as this is what I want to see him and be close to his power. Unlike other hard secessionists, I do not believe that that the Bible demands that the gifts have ceased. All those gifts, I don't believe that they the Bible demands that they have ceased in the first century. I do not believe that the Bible demands that they continued either. Okay, now I think, however, there is more of an implication for them continuing than ceasing. I think that's found in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's speech. And I think it's also found in Acts chapter uh, 13, Acts, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, on the gifts uh, continuing until Christ comes. So I could go that direction very easily. But I can't convince myself that there's an elephant in the room when there's no elephant in the room. While the Bible does not teach that the gifts would cease, I don't believe it does, but it doesn't teach the, that the canon has been closed either. 
and mo- all of us believe that it's closed. So just because the Bible doesn't doesn't pull the curtain on something doesn't mean that actuality doesn't pull the curtain on something. I mean, the empirical verification is what we're seeking. And whenever you whenever you tell people that all these things are going on and they're not it's very discouraging for a lot of people because people, number one, you may get people excited and they may be thinking, Hey, I'm going to go find God. And they may try to talk themselves into believing there's an elephant in the room when there's not an elephant in the room. And eventually they're going to find out there's not an elephant in the room. They're going to come to their senses. They're going to finally come to terms with it. And it's going to be hurtful for them. And they've, they've lived their life and, and wasted a lot of their thoughts and, and uh, faith in this area. If there's no elephant in the room, there's no elephant room. But also, uh, you know, when we're talking about people who do not, who who are seekers, this, I, I, I just think it would run them off. I do. If you're there saying, come to our church and there's prophecy and there's not prophecy, they'll say, okay, empirically, you're not there. Empirically, you're kind of you're messed up because you're talking yourself into believing something's there that's not. And I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, the proof has to be empirical with this kind of stuff. I mean, you may say, Michael, I'm going to talk you into being a charismatic. You can't talk me into it. I'm fine with the Bible being be it going on or not going on. But it's the problem of divine hiddenness at your churches. It's the problem of divine hiddenness whenever I whenever I encounter it. I've been prophesied over I don't know how many times by charismatics. Good charismatics too. People that go to these churches that are good evangelical churches. And it's always wrong and it's always discouraging for me. It is. And part of the discouragement is not just for me. It's not, it's not that I say, oh man, I was really hoping that one would come true. I do hope it would really come true. I do hope that you can see into my life and speak into my life and I can hear God talking to me about my individual circumstances. But I also feel bad for the person who's prophesying. And I think, oh man, they got it wrong. What am I going to say to them? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to disappoint them, and I don't know what to do. I get put in a dilemma. It's like, you know, they they said to me one time. They said to me, uh, "I can see money come out out of your pocketbook continually. You are always giving. You're giving. You give to everybody." And I'm like, man, I don't have any money to give. <laughs> I haven't had any money. To give. I mean, I'd love to be a giver, and thank you for thinking that of me. Uh, you know, I'd love for you to look at my checkbook and see God written all in it because I'm giving it all away. But you look at my checkbook and you see nothing. And so I'm like, uh, uh, okay, yeah, thank you. You know, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say. I mean, uh, is that right from me? I mean, should I have said, no, you're wrong? Figure it out. I can't be like that. I'll save that for podcast here. And maybe you're listening a few years later and you see me say this, but you know, it's just, it's just, you put, you put everybody in, in kind of the horns of a dilemma and we don't know what to do. We want to believe. I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't really want to believe. Yeah. I know there's some hard secessionists out there and they're just theologically they're, 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 they're core that they have, Harden their categories to such a degree that they're not going to break it open. But a lot of us will will easily go that direction because we want to see God. We want to see Maranatha. We want to see the presence of Christ. We love the presence of Christ in every way. Oh man, you know, I it's a, a lot of my friends. I don't know who's listening to this or who will listen to this eventually. 
but you guys are my friends. I love you very much. I do not believe it. I'm sorry, but I'm more sorry for me too. I mean, but at the same time, I, I just think you got to think a little bit deeper. The empiricism is something that God has given to us to find knowledge. Empiricism is something that he showed while he was here on the earth. Empiricism is something that 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 the that John continually said that Christ proved himself with many signs to show who he was. It was empirical. Empiricism is nothing that's evil. It's it's a good thing. And so I look for God through my senses. And I see him in many different ways, but I do not see any direct intervention and the thinning of the veil within the charismatic church any more than I do anywhere else. I may be wrong. Maybe I've just gone to the wrong place. Maybe there's something the matter with me and I'm just hardened. I don't feel like I am. I don't think you could talk me into believing I am, but hey, I'll give it a try because I'll tell you, I'll do anything. I'll take any medicine that you give me to try, but I will be very honest in the end because my mind is the Lord's and I have to keep it full of integrity to the degree that I'm able to because he is God and this is his name and I can't go around saying that he's doing stuff whenever he's not doing stuff. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's taking his reputation and and telling the world out there. And they're going to come to that church and they're going to find out he's not doing anything. And you you have damaged his reputation. We can't take the Lord Lord's name in vain. And if and if charismatics need to adjust, if they need to adjust and say, well, maybe number two is not right. Maybe it's not normative for the local church. Maybe it just shows up whenever it shows up. And, but we still believe it happens because we hear it all the time. Well, okay, that's good, but that's not really a continuation of the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts are given to the individuals for them to build up the body of Christ, so therefore they have these gifts. You may say, well, the gifts are itinerant. They change hands and they bounce around. Yeah. All right, if that's the way you want to go around it theologically, but it, it's just it's worming your way out of a problem. Um. Uh, they're, they're not itinerant. I mean, if they are fine, uh, no big deal. But then, then the charismatic thing whole changes. The idea of the gifts things change. Maybe, maybe every gift is itinerant. Maybe teaching gift jumps from one person to another and the giving gift jumps to, from one person to another. The eye becomes the ear and the ear becomes the mouth and the mouth becomes the foot. I don't see that in the scripture. I don't think you can argue that way and talk me into it. But maybe there's something I'm missing whenever it comes to these particular gifts that can be itinerant, can jump from one person to another. Otherwise, I just say, hey, listen, let's do what J.P. Moreland did. Let's do, I liked what J.P. Moreland did because he got sick of this debate and he got sick of, you know, just, I don't know whether what he calls himself anymore. He probably calls himself charismatic because in some sense he is very charismatic, but he says, he says, um, and and he told me about a miracle one time that I believe about a guy's ear growing back. I really do believe this. I mean, it's not as if I can't believe people. I do. I believe whenever Sam Storms got his his prophecy that day, he got it. I mean, that they really did speak into his prayer life the day before. I believe it was a miracle. I just don't know that it told it, it's it, it tells him what he became afterwards. I don't think so, but 
it's his own experience. And if he's empirically, all these things are empirically verified to him, then more power to him. Maranatha already for him. The veil has thinned over there, but over here it has not. So, uh, you know, uh, I like what JP Moreland does. He, he says, let's quit talking about the gifts. Let's quit talking about, you know, them being part of the first Corinthians 12 and the Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter four. Um, uh, and what it was the other one, first Peter chapter four, I think it is, but, uh, let's quit talking about them. Let's talk, quit talking about them as gifts. And let's just talk about the power of the spirit. And let's talk about how alive the power of the spirit is. And I like that. That's good. Because I'm willing to go there, you know, with that. And I do believe there are miracles that are happening. There's this two-volume book by Craig Keener where all these miracles are cataloged. Some are better than others. I mean, I don't necessarily look at every one of those and say it has to be a miracle. But a lot of them are. A lot of them are in, have evidence before and after, doctor's notes, uh, x-rays, everything. It's incredible. And so, uh, there, there's a bunch of those that are great. He came and spoke with the Creed Hoffs about him and that, that was a lot of fun and it's exciting because the veil thinned whenever he was sitting up there telling us about all those miracles. It really did. You know, my heart just, yes, I'm excited because that is the Lord I serve and that's what I, we want. So let's, let's talk about it in that way. Let's talk about the power of the Holy spirit moving, but let's not try to try to force the power of the Spirit into places that he is not. I could be wrong. I really could. And I hope, you know what? I hope you're right. I hope I've got this wrong. I don't know what that means for me as I'm searching for it because I don't know why I can't figure it out. But at the same time, I do hope you're wrong because I love the power of the Spirit to be evident in such a way. Anyway, guys, listen, we've talked long enough about this. Go to my blog, credohouse.org. I've got this, the blog there, it's up. I just posted it. Got a lot of other blogs that I've written over the last week. Check those out. Also, make sure that you um, that you subscribe wherever you're at, whether it is X, Twitter, X, Twitter, or X, uh, whether it's Facebook, whether it's YouTube, whether it's, I don't know, wherever wherever this company, Spotify, uh, iTunes, and, and write a review somewhere. If, you, if, you're, if you're in a place to write a review, we, we need that review because we our RSS feed broke and we had to pull it over somewhere else and we lost all of our reviews. And that's part of how these things get people, you know, start watching them, start listening to them. So we've recently come on YouTube doing these things, but we used to have a really big podcast. Theology Unplugged used to be very, very large on Spotify and YouTube and the RSS feed. But make, make a comment. Uh, um uh, write a review for us, if you will. And then also, listen, if you can, I would like you to go to, um, go to my Patreon and just check it out. I write even more there than just in the blog or just at Facebook. And that's the place where I get supported from. Um, I would really love for you to be a member of this Patreon. Let me see if I can get over here to the public area. There we go. I'd really love for you to be a member and, you know, you go do it $3 or you can do it $25, $9. There's even more, a lot more than that. You can just look through them all, see what all you get with the different uh, levels. And then you can see all my posts. And the, we also got um, a place where we have, we have uh, 
community. Let's see here. I don't know how to make it. I, I, I have the back end one, so I don't know how to make it to get to the different places. I guess, oh, after you become a member, you'll be able to see the, uh, the, uh, the chat place. And so there, there's a lot of things that we can do, and, the, and we're going to keep on growing there. I thank you guys all that are already a member. But go, if you want to support us, come be a patron. I thank you so much for that and uh, get ready. There are things, there's many things moving at Credo House. I, I really are. There, there's so much going on in the background. Pray for us. Pray for Credo House. I wish nothing. I want nothing. I, I'm called to nothing but make theology accessible to have these kinds of talks to establish people in good theology, evangelical theology in an ironic way um and ruffle the edges i've got to i'm i got to show you the puzzle's not all put together yet and, and hopefully you guys are able to not only see that the puzzle's not all put together but you glorify god more because it's not all put together theology 